1: As outlined during this week's Iraqis Health Committee, healthcare staffs are subjected to verbal and physical aggression on a regular basis from patients and also from parents of sick children in emergency departments up and down the country. But as columnist and retired consultant in emergency medicine, Chris Luke, points out in his piece for the Irish Examiner today, if we can't treat the causes of patient aggression, we'll have no medical staff left. And he joins me now. Chris, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Now, this is not a new phenomenon. You can cast your mind back to when you first observed physical aggression in a hospital.
0: Yes, in fact, I think it's always been an issue, but uh, it's just something that I think that doctors and nurses and, and other healthcare professionals in training simply don't anticipate when they're when they're in medical school or in, in college. Uh, and certainly there's a perception that it's getting worse. And, and you know, Pat, it, 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 it actually there's a parallel with the piece you just did a few minutes ago uh, on uh, you know the accommodation for asylum seeking seekers and and Ukrainians and it, it in fact it it seems to come down to a a mismatch between uh, expectation uh, and accommodation i mean obviously in the case of healthcare staff it's the facilities and in emergency departments and gp surgeries perhaps disappointing people who come looking for help
1: So, uh, people come looking for help, they go to the emergency departments, or it could be their GP indeed, uh, they are looking for a particular service, and because of whatever reason, could be resources, or it could be simply there is nothing that we can do for you, uh, they become frustrated, aggressive, and they take it out on the people whose fault it certainly is not.
0: Yes. And I, I suppose what, what seems to be new of late, I mean, I've i bumped into GP friends and colleagues uh, recently who said to me that for the first time in their careers of 10, 20, 30 years, that they, they've actually been verbally uh, attacked uh, in their premises, w- which is very new. And of course, if you look at the UK situation where there are so few GPs now uh, and the numbers are dwindling, uh, you'll see regular reports now of GP surgery waiting rooms being absolutely trashed. Uh, and GP office doors being, you know, being kicked in, uh, and so on. And of course, the other new thing is uh, the uh, account of the stuff we heard this week about the paediatric emergency departments. I mean, the thing about children's emergency departments is that traditionally they have seen very few people on trolleys waiting for hours, and they've had relatively little uh, sort of verbal and physical assault on, on staff, uh, as are relatively frequently seen in in the adult. Uh, sector.
1: So why do you think that is happening? I mean, I can understand that a a parent with a a child uh, who's very sick and they are desperate for that child to be seen, that they would be at their wits end. But what turns that impatience and frustration into violence?
0: Well, I think that's a very good word. The word desperate or or desperation, I think, uh, applies very often. People are just so stressed perhaps by hours or days uh, of illness on the part of of their child or or you know in terms of the adult departments and of someone that they love a, a spouse or a parent or, or an offspring that they they just they just uh, they flip uh, and I, the, the 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 point the threshold at which people flip seems to be dropping and i, I you know I've, i mean there's, there's no doubt in my mind that the intoxication has a has a, has a significant uh, role to play I mean, obviously, there's always been drinking in in Ireland, but now you have a a cocktail of of, uh, the the five common triggers for in terms of intoxication for for violence, I I would say are alcohol, amphetamine, cannabis, cocaine and, of course, benzodiazepines, you know, sleeping tablets. And I'm talking about a sort of unhealthy relationship with with these intoxicants uh, and uh, an impulsivity or, or paranoia. I mean, basically violence the proximate trigger is what i would call dip it's a disinhibition its impulsivity and its paranoia uh, and you know you get any kind of blend of that mm. and you're more likely to see people kicking off and that, the reality is just that there's so many people taking drinking yeah. and drugs uh, and of course there's also the, the pressure and i mean again another example would be people on the i mean i i i was a medical sort of coach in 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 one of the, our big rugby clubs in cork And there was always one or two parents kicking off on a Saturday morning, uh, uh, screaming abuse at the ref and so on. And we've seen it in the GAA situation. I often think that's due to the hangover on a Saturday or Sunday morning. Mm.
1: Now, uh, the the whole question of um, stimulant or sedative consumption, be it alcohol or be it cocaine or amphetamines, whatever it might be. That's a broader societal problem, I I suppose. But in terms of the interface between these people uh, in whatever state they are coming into the ED and dealing with staffs, would it make any difference if uh, those EDs were well resourced? In other words, to, to stop things getting to boiling point. Is that part of the solution that when someone arrives in no matter what state they're in, that they're greeted and seen quickly and reassured?
0: Yes, without a doubt. I mean, there's, you, you know, you, you'll often see in, in sociological or public health literature that people tend to behave better. You, you know, you know, this whole idea of zero tolerance uh, in New York. It, it wasn't just the policing. It was the fact that broken windows were fixed and that a place was spruced up. So people tend to behave better. Uh, in For example, in city streets where there's very little litter or people are generally behaving well and, and there's a sense of, you know, place being minded. It, it's the same in emergency departments. It, I, sometimes I think if the place looks as if it's been abandoned by by the state or the administration, then people behave accordingly. Whereas conversely, uh, if it seems to be very well run uh, and you know it's clean and it's it's, it's you know bright and, and 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 there are very good facilities such as toilets or or catering for for everybody uh, and, and space and air and all the rest of it, but well, then people tend to behave better. So sadly, the actual environment of our emergency departments is, is a major driver of, of frustration and, and indeed desperation. Um,
1: so we're not going to get those resources very quickly by the looks of things. And uh, all the uh, anecdotal accounts we're getting is that EDs are losing staff rather than adding to their staff. So what is the interim solution? Is it beefing up security so that uh, you know nurses and doctors are not put in the way of regression?
0: You know. Well, it, it, I mean, I I've, I, you mean, know, obviously, after 40 years, I've seen the uh, levels of hostility and violence, uh, you know, come and go in, in the emergency departments of all shapes and sizes. And, you know, back in the 80s, we had policemen uh, patrolling emergency departments in, in Edinburgh and Liverpool when I was there. And of course, in St. James's in the early 80s, you know, there were always guards in, in the department. They often popped in for coffee where they were part of the community there, really, in and out. And if there was any issues, they'd be in like, like a jiffy from the local the local guard station. So uh, you know, there's no doubt that security, uh, people, uh, policing uh, is part of the solution. So is in, an improvement in terms of the facilities and the environment. And, and again, you know, one of my 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 my, my, relent, my the bees in my bonnet is is if, if an emergency department is overwhelmed, and if there is, for example, consequent you know abuse and uh, aggression towards the staff the chief executive needs to be in the place every day until that problem is sorted, until the emergency department is no longer described as inundated. And I think that's a huge issue. I mean, you know, we need senior managers and politicians visiting these places, in these places, for more than just a fleeting moment or two. But, you know, in there every single day, as long as the major problems are going on, because until the issue is acknowledged, and and that just doesn't mean some some irritating and infuriating sort of um, um, platitudes... You know we, we need to evidence that the staff if they're to stay they need evidence that politicians and pundits and above all the most senior management in in a in an institution uh, are, are are visiting and know exactly what's going on yeah. because you know it's one thing to complain and for years in hospitals of all sorts that I've certainly worked in there's often a reluctance on the part of management to even acknowledge that there's been an assault on a nurse or to take it further and that again is infuriating and upsetting and distressing and it's one of the things that contributes to to burnout. I mean there's, there's no doubt Pat that you know, assaults, aggression uh, are, are in the top three things that are driving staff out of our uh, service. Yeah.
1: Um, the final thing is, you know, if we don't have the resources, uh, you talk about managing the patient expectation. In other words, you arrive in, you're told this is what's going to happen. You know, unless your head is hanging off, you're not going to be seen for two hours or whatever it might be. There's a coffee station over there. Blah blah blah. If you arrive intoxicated, you are not likely to jump the queue, you know, a few rules and regulations that might put manners on people.
0: Yeah. Or a type of etiquette. Well, you know, it's interesting, Pat, I think I was listening to your programme a few days ago when uh, J- Professor Joe Harbison was talking about uh, the stroke campaigns that they run periodically. Uh, you know, the fast campaign where, yeah. you, you know, you're, you're looking at for facial asymmetry and weak hands and speech and so on, and how uh, the, the response to that and the awareness dipped almost as soon as the, 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 the adverts were, were were pulled from the TV. And that, that's a fascinating uh, glimpse into how regular and frequent and perennial uh, adverts and information campaigns need to be in terms of the way people are expected to behave in GP surgeries uh, uh, and health facilities. So it's something it's a constant perennial requirement. Yeah.
1: Um, a final couple of things the absenteeism rate of nurses has to be looked at if we're to solve the hospital crisis that's from Tom in Limerick absenteeism doesn't mean that they haven't got a good reason but just they don't show up for their shift because they're ill or scared or injured another one I'm a cancer patient I was left on a trolley for four nights spent six hours in A&E waiting to be admitted five nights no sleep nobody cared when I complained I was treated with indifference having cancer and trying to keep your chemotherapy was wasn't enough to get any sympathy. So has the empathy and nursing care gone out of our A&E staff? And Chris, we did talk about that, you and I, before. Well,
0: Pat, can I just say uh, that is so depressing to hear that, but I, I would just plead with those contributors to remember that the few staff that remain in our emergency departments or, or wherever most of them have been so brutalized for so long that they are all grappling with various degrees of, of burnout, and burnout features apparent callousness and in fact it 's only when they leave these places you know you see the return of the smile and the concern and the compassion and Most of these staff are so wonderful, but they 're indescribably wonderful and heroic, but uh, at the end of their tenure, most of them have are have entered into into a state a state of burnout which features i 'm afraid what looks like callousness and indifference.
1: Chris Luke, columnist, retired consultant in emergency medicine. Thank you very much for uh, joining us.
0: The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.